I missed it. After all the business trips, uh, especially in Canada, uh, I really missed Ukraine. I don't know why. I don't know which aspects of uh, of society, of uh, my native town, or people uh, negotiation with people. I don't know. It was just a really deep feeling of that I miss this country. That I, I decided to uh, close my contract uh, with uh, uh, with Canadian company and uh, move back to Ukraine. This podcast shows that Ukraine is not what foreigners see on television. In reality, Ukrainian people are much better, much more interesting and friendly than other people expect. This podcast is about the real life, experiences, work and personalities of Ukrainian people with a focus on the capital, Kiev, so that foreigners discover the positive truth about Ukraine, visit the country and invest in the economy creating more opportunities for the young, younger Ukrainian generations to stay and build their country. Hello, my name is Aziz and I have a deep connection with Ukraine. My grandfather volunteered in 1987 to help clean the Chernobyl chemical radiation because he believed in humanity. He was a real hero for me and even though he struggled with cancer after that for the rest of his life, he always told me so many great things about Ukraine and its people. Then, from 2018 to 2019, for two years, I began working with UNICEF in Ukraine to help build orphanages for the children who lost their families in the war. I couldn't return to Ukraine in 2020 because of COVID-19. So this project is my volunteer work to help Ukraine. And thank you all. You listeners for the support, this podcast now is ranking number one on Apple Podcasts about Ukraine, top 60 travel podcasts in the UK, top 50 travel podcasts in Italy, top 25 in Apple Russia, and top 20 on Apple Poland. So thank you. My guest today is Bogdan Fustenko. Dan is an engineering manager at Astound Commerce. He has more than 10 years in uh, experience in quality assurance in the IT industry. He worked in Canada, the US, different European countries, India, as well as Ukraine. He loves sports, a wide variety of musical genres, reads classical literature, and keeps up with the news in science. To relax his mind, he likes to ride his bicycle, visit musical concerts, art galleries, and museums with friends. He is interested in linguistics, science, sports, languages, as well as the culinary arts within Gordon Ramsay School of Seasoned Cookery. Dan, how are you today? Uh, thank you, Adelzis. I'm doing great. Uh, as the Briton says, I'm chuffed to beats <laughs> to be a part of this podcast. I'm excited as well. And we will explore, enjoy, and have a lot of fun together. You can feel my excitement to begin and give some context. Can you share a story, the story that made you the Dan of today? Mm, the story. Hmm. Today, you know, I, I was uh, in my duties, I was hiring people. And I have a great business interview with a girl from Vinicia. And I was really admired by her passion uh, in this job. And maybe it's kind of it's tiny, uh, tiny event uh, during this day, which made it actually. And uh, I'm really happy that each day we have such events every day. 
in our job. Wait, our this group. is beautiful. This is exciting. Now we're already beginning from the very, very start with something really wonderful. Okay. You said it's her enthusiasm and excitement that made your day, correct? Yes, yes, definitely. Which means that usually there isn't like some events that share or give or show enthusiasm and excitement. And to take it even further, since you speak English so well and you're interested in many things to explore, does it mean that there is a way that you feel it's unfortunate in life that so many people like uh, Thoreau says, are living a life of quiet desperation and therefore you don't want to be that such a person and you admire, encourage and wish to be that excited, enthusiastic, alive person. Oh yes, you said it best, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I remember in previous uh, podcasts uh, you were talking about the inspiration in life and what makes people be happy. It's your... Uh, I know it's your topic of the next book. So uh, I was thinking about this after I listened to the podcast and uh, the best three things uh, which can depict uh, the goal of the life and make it longer. It's uh, loading your mind, your muscles, feeling happy. <laughs> and of course, talking to people. Okay. So, I mean, this is all levels then. You said loading your mind, which means learning. Load in your yes. muscles, which means fitness, workout, and feel running and bicycle and everything. Speaking with friends and communicating with people is that oxytocin kind of connection with human beings or uh, community and feeling happy. So to ask you, because, you know, in psychology, there are two kinds of people. And I know I'm going too deep, but this is special, such an opportunity. There are two kinds of people in the world if you simplify psychology. The I people and the we people. I people are very individualistic. Some call them selfish and they focus on themselves and only view other people as like a part to make their own lives better. While the we people think, how can I become better so that I enrich the community and the lives of others. I'm sensing you're more of the we people. And to ask you more about this, then, because I had another guest that was saying, okay, simplifying, that um, the people who are more of the east of Ukraine are we people, <laughs> while <laughs> the west of Ukraine are more the independent entrepreneurial kind. Are you originally from Kiev or from that other part? And did you have a family that was more community-based? And can you comment on what I said? Oh, yeah. Thank you for these questions. Great questions. Yeah, initially I came from Sumy. It's a not pretty big city uh, on the east from Kyiv, 300 kilometers. Uh, I was born there, and then I moved to Kyiv uh, more than 10 years ago. Now Kyiv is my native town for the job. Wonderful. Tell me more, especially about happiness. Like, what makes you happy? Oh, what a great question. <laughs> uh, I think you, you listed this previously when you had a great intro about me. Uh, I just want to emphasize some uh, more ideas about uh, your topic about we people and I people. You know, uh, in my opinion, every man to his taste. In each uh, parts of life, we are playing different roles. And uh, what I know that uh, people represent themselves as in three different persons, like uh, the person what I want to be, how I present myself, how I want to be uh, visioned by others, uh, 
Second part of personality is how people look at us, how they estimate, how they assume. Uh, and the third one, uh, how we how we initially feel, uh, what we think about uh, about us, about personality. So uh, combining these three personalities, uh, we can come up with uh, your approach about we people and I people. But I wouldn't say that I'm like social, very social person, but it depends on my mood and depends on interests and uh, surroundings. So um, I'm not sure that we can, you know, divide people into these two groups uh, because uh, depending on environment, uh, depending on uh, social aspects, uh, we can play different roles for sure. Great. So to ask you then, I'm I'm sensing that maybe you're an introvert, correct? Uh, depends. <laughs> it depends on so many. Um, maybe. Okay. Uh, the real uh, definition of introvert is not shy. It means that mm-hmm. if you spend too long. Uh, with other people or communicating, you feel tired and you need time to be alone, to feel recharged, while an extrovert needs to be with people to feel recharged and that gives them energy all the time. And if they're alone, that will make them feel down and tired. So that is the real definition. But because of this energetic kind of exhaustion that introverts get from speaking with people, they tend to have less social skills and therefore they come across as timid or shy, but it's not necessary. So according to this definition, which kind of person would you, and do you have like a story from your life that is an anecdote that represents more of your personality? Hmm. Uh, Cool question. Yeah, uh, still I think about myself that I'm kind of combination of these two uh, controversial things. (laughs) And speaking of story, uh, yeah, I remember when my socialization uh, played a great role. Um, It was more than 10 years ago, uh, when we had the Olympics uh, in our university, it was devoted to quality assurance. That's actually how I, um, how I joined a quality assurance and testing community in my profession. So uh, our university uh, took uh, this Olympic Games, uh, which were devoted to testing, software testing, thing testing around us. And uh, I remember, I clearly remember my uh, my. Uh, uh, my thoughts on that day. Hmm. It's so challenging to go somewhere to took part in this Olympics. Uh, I I should think out of box. I should uh, for for three hours. I should generate so many ideas uh, to you know to to get the first place. And uh, what I thought was. Okay, screw up, guys. I'm going. <laughs> uh, I will take part in this Olympic Games. And guess what? Uh, I took the first place on this Olympics Games. And uh, my mother and friends of mine, uh, they emphasized it. Hey, guy, do you remember? You didn't want to join it. You didn't want it all to, w- <laughs> to wake up and go somewhere to, uh, to hold your mind, like I said, <laughs> and to take part in this complicated uh, trial. And that was, yeah, that was quite an anecdotal situation uh, when we really depended on our mood. And uh, sometimes we just need a rough push, <laughs> rough push for our butts uh, to, to take part in some events, to um, join the people groups and uh, present ourselves. Yeah, so much. <laughs> no, fun. this is so much info. You remind me of what Olga Nechayeva said, which is to force ourselves because otherwise we're lazy. And this could mean also about the introvert, extrovert, um, controversial thing that there is the ambivert, like ambidextrous, but it's like you can be both extrovert and introvert. But to ask you about two things, one, 
are you a perfectionist? Do you view that as like sometimes you put extra pressure and stress uh, on yourself to be excellent while in reality it's extra stress that doesn't make life as enjoyable or as uh, good as it could be? It's just your own expectations of yourself that is a bit high and that pushes you a lot. And do you have that idea that is directing your life even now that you think, okay, uh, I don't want to do X, Y, Z, but my brain understands that it's uh, useful and important. So I will push myself to do it because I know that in the end, I will be better, which is like the David Goggins kind of uh, mantra. I won't go deep into it to give you space to answer. So can you comment on this, please? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, every day, to be frank uh, with you, um, starting from physical exercises, when in order to have a great progress, you need to push harder every day. Um, and uh, finishing with work, of course. Uh, you mentioned about perfectionism, and it's a huge part of uh, my job. Uh, just to get acquainted uh, with profession, uh, quality assurance is just... Um, um, uh, gathering the requirements for software and uh, to test them against those requirements. That's why uh, every engineer in testing and quality assurance struggles to have the perfect tests, uh, to have the perfect uh, validation of the code and uh, softwares. Uh, that's why sometimes uh, we are victims uh, of, uh, of this goal, to have everything perfect on one's place and to uh, reach each goal perfectly uh, but from counterpart sometimes we need to stop ourselves i think uh, because uh, we can never for example test software and uh, have it perfect we can never reach perfect results uh, because there are so many different factors which influence on this and uh, they will stop us and will never reach the goal the final goal that's why uh, i would i'd like to mention that uh, Sometimes we need to stop ourselves and uh, deal with uh, medium results and uh, uh, take it for granted. <laughs> it's wonderful. I used to be a super perfectionist, but then over time, and I was um, speaking to Dan Sullivan. He has also a book about this, a very short one, that look, nowadays we have so much to do. We cannot be perfect. Aim for 80%. And then if you reach the 80% of your perfect expectations, move on to the next project because uh, then you will do more, you'll achieve more and you will finish more and your life will be much better. So it's like the 80% rule of doing 80% of your perfect expectations. And then when you reach there, move on. Or there was a Microsoft uh, executive in his book, which is called Getting results the agile way and in there he says he sets a specific number of hours for a project and when that time ends even if he's in middle of a sentence he will just put the end and move on <laughs> he said otherwise i will stay forever on the projects and there's so much work it never ends so I set a time limit saying let's say this project will require 30 hours when that timer ends why he sets you know he does the pomodoro technique when he sets the timer when it's done is like the end and move on to the next project and that's good enough or another guy i won't even mention but he says you know when you're releasing a version one version one will not kill you but it will give it its very best shot so <laughs> it's, it's really funny i'll ask you that my 
uh, as this, I just uh, uh, <laughs> I recollected some story about this. Uh, Tell me, please. When I was struggling about this perfectionism, uh, I'm really keen um, in uh, reading scientific papers, stories, articles, etc. And I remember when I was fully absorbed by all these internet uh, in, um, articles about, for example, space, uh, black holes, and something like that. And uh, <laughs> I remember when I was too fully stuffed with time uh, and I couldn't dedicate it devote so much time for reading these papers. And some idea popped in my mind that uh, we can listen uh, with much higher speed that we can read. Uh, after that, I decided to try listening to podcasts or uh, some screen readers from articles. And you know what? It saved my time. Uh, it was a really effective way to disload your vision and to put more attention to your hearing. After that, I... Uh, I saw that I can uh, absorb the information uh, via, the, um, via the hearing and I could save loads of time instead of reading papers, but listening to them. Great. And that makes me ask a question because the definition of mediocrity is that the mediocre people waste time. And unfortunately, there are too many people who don't value time at all. In many ways, that's the least valuable thing that they consider. But you value saving time. So to ask you, was there an experience or a problem or a moment or an understanding or lesson that made you realize, I have to save time? And why? Like, what advice would you give in general that happened in your mind to other people who may not be trying to be so productive so that they understand why it's important to you and maybe uh, follow suit? Oh, uh, great philosophic question. Thank you for this. <laughs> um, situation about saving my time. Uh, every day I, I have to push myself to time management. And um, in order to be effective, in order to spend my time, not for time eaters, but for effective things. Uh, here is a piece of advice from me, uh, which I got from my teacher uh, at school. Try to imagine yourself in three years, and before starting each task, let it be time eater or reading something or going somewhere, try imagine, uh, will it be really useful for you in future? Uh, will it have any benefits, uh, any advantages from this action? For example, when I'm opening <laughs> Facebook or 9GAC resource, uh, sometimes better to stop and think about will it be really helpful in three years uh, or in five years or in future for myself? <laughs> and it immediately, trust me, it immediately stopped me from scrolling down. <laughs> I'm switching to more effective ways of spending my time. I love your answer. And now I hear that you repeat the word, the word effective which is wonderful because uh, one of my favorite books is Peter Drucker's The Effective Executive. But there is a difference between efficiency and effectiveness. Since you use the word effective, one, can you define it? And second, it's not possible to be effective without knowing your three to five or even like lifetime goals. So can you speak about what are your goals or vision for yourself in three to five years, or even if you have a longer term vision and goals? Yeah, my goals grow from my from my main uh, interests in life. So first, to improve my professional skill, uh, be an effective manager, 
second one, second goal, the biggest one, to be uh, physically healthy and mentally, of course. That's why I think uh, every man should devote uh, part of each day to having physical exercises uh, in order to improve uh, muscle activity, especially with uh, current sitting sitting approach in life. And the third uh, may be food, because uh, uh, as long as I live, as uh, more I understand that it's significant part of uh, our <laughs> digestion system and uh, our uh, life. So in couple of years, I still need to polish my knowledge, especially in seasonal cooking, in uh, maybe Asian cooking, because I'm fond of it so much. Uh, so let it be the third main goal. I love it. And we have to speak about cooking and Asian food and your fascination with it. But what I'm hearing now, as I think about it through the lens of the Ken Wilber model of integral <laughs> philosophy, <laughs> is that, look, you are in the quadrant of uh, physical, the external physical, which is career and money, and the uh, physical of body and nutrition. You didn't speak about the other parts of it. So I'm asking you, are you more of one, an embodied person, two, uh, that you experience the world physically, and three, which is I ask to some other people, so this is not like a new question, but I notice a pattern that in the guests is that this, there are two types of people, people that don't really see the world exactly, but they see a model and patterns and expectations of what the world should be, and they are constantly analyzing it in a second degree. While there are people who don't want to look at the world in that way, they want to experience reality directly and tangibly and get the feedback from life about how to be more effective. So basically, that's my question. Are you that kind of person or were you some other kind of person, but you discovered that it's better to be uh, more in touch with the tangible part of reality in order to have the life that you want. And therefore, maybe there is a story or a lesson there. Hmm. Um, so complicated question. Uh, I just, I, I think this question was with Tatiana Grasima, the PhD girl. <laughs> uh, so I was also thinking about this. Um, tangible, definitely, yes. Um, but for me, I think the biggest uh, indicator of feeling the life is feeling, uh, having the mood, uh, listening to music, uh, talking to friends. Uh, we cannot sense this. It's maybe that's why we consider us as human beings. That's why only we are possess this kind of senses. Um, so now this is wonderful. Look, wait, wait, <laughs> because you know in NLP there are three kinds of um, modalities for people to experience life, and they have we have all, but each person is a genius somewhat or strong in one. One is the visual, which most programmers are, and then there is the auditory, which tends to be musicians and people who see the world in terms of sounds, while the kinesthetic. They view it through emotions, sensations, and direct experience and everything, which seems to be the way that you are. So to ask you two things. This one I didn't ask um, on, on this podcast. I asked it to a design professor from, anyway, I had 15 years of design professor. And I told him, look, most designers are visual, but you are kinesthetic because he was saying, 
design for me is emotions. He was saying the way what I do is I use colors and shapes to evoke emotion. So I asked him, are you visual or kinesthetic? And the answer, after we delve deeper into it, he's kinesthetic. And most of his students are visual. And therefore, they cannot really understand the deeper lessons that he's sharing. Now, that was a comment. I don't want it to be too complicated. So I'll ask a simple question. Uh, most coders will be visual. Then do you view or do you see the world differently than most of the people who are working in the same profession as you? Do you believe that my assumption that you're strong and kinesthetic is correct? And third, does this allow you to view code and programming and your work from a different perspective than other people? Oh, yeah. Uh, I see the world is changing. And uh, maybe 20, 20, 30 years ago, we would consider that uh, developers and everybody who is involved in IT uh, is more uh, usual acceptable person uh, who uh, see the product and uh, delivers the code and increment in visual way. But what I see now, uh, the, all the internet and web industry converts into user experience industry, which cannot be considered as visual part. It's also, uh, mm, it takes feeling from the user. And uh, I clearly remember in the book of... Uh, Artemy Lebedev about mentorship, which is called in Russian Kavodstvo. He emphasized, he stressed on that the perfect product should take the emotion from user, uh, should uh, trigger them instead of, of uh, just being visual uh, website, which will be forgotten uh, as soon as you leave it. So that's why we see currently that uh, the whole industry stresses on emotions it tries to generate more and more emotion from human uh, from users of these products yes because in a time of distraction emotions make you memorable and make you stand out which is really good okay about cooking and i know we went deep and i i'm excited when i find someone who likes deeper topics to dive deeper into them and I look about like I try to speak about what people are into and you are into this stuff so we're going totally philosophical but let's get back more to the physical and the nutrition and food and culinary which is your most favorite kind of food and then we'll speak about it just to make sure whether it's Asian like you mentioned or Asian is the exciting new kind of food that you're into. Well, <laughs> my answer will be obvious. Uh, Ukrainian um, Ukrainian food is the best, especially which was cooked by my mom. <laughs> Perfect. Do you have a specific dish that you love? Oh, plenty of them. Uh, starting from vareniki, borscht, uh, pierogi, and finishing with compote <laughs> and juices. <laughs> so any of them. And, Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> really this is so good okay then i will ask you because you mentioned your mom do you have an early memory of that relates to food or cooking or culinary that was whether watching your mom or receiving love through good food from your mom because what happened is the brain and you can read about it more on a book called I Mammal, is that early experiences of receiving love of, or of receiving um, accolades and appreciation, whatever that activity was, will be etched and it will, be, it will stay in our brain as a favorite activity because it was our early experience of receiving good emotions. And therefore, uh, the love of culinary 
has to come from childhood in some way that that was an experience. And since you mentioned your mom, I'm making the assumption, of course, that it was with your mom. Do you have a story yeah. about like experiences with your mom that related to food and nutrition that in some ways you always cherish and love? <laughs> yeah, the first, uh, the first thought which popped up in my mind was, uh, oh, so deep. Uh, it was um, many years ago, maybe 200 <laughs> or so. Um, so when I was young, uh, when I was four or five years old, uh, mom got a challenge for me. Uh, we, I, I took part in baking pie. So uh, she decided to uh, include my, my myself into this process, and we did tiny pies and bake them. And uh, she decided to add the extra pie, which was fully stuffed by pepper. And uh, <laughs> that was fun. Uh, so uh, and this pie was uh, looked similar as any of them. And we decided to uh, bake everything uh, together. And uh, the person who uh, who took the pie with extra pepper in it uh, would be a day winner, <laughs> and yeah, and decided. Uh, I, I remember that uh, I stuffed, I fully stuffed this uh, pie with pepper, and it looked similar. I, I tried to do my best uh, to make it similar as uh, mom's pies, and uh, after that we um, uh, we decided to uh, to invite our friends, uh, our neighbors uh, to this tiny party with pies and uh, my father took this the, <laughs> uh, the uh, took my pie with uh, with pepper and we had so many fun that uh, he even could uh, eat a bit of this pie and then after that she, he realized that uh, it would be pretty hot <laughs> to, to eat it so that was my the earliest memory of my uh, cooking expertise with mother and this is wonderful. Yeah, tell me more. I'm just noticing it's the same as the Olympics or this one. You're always doing some kind of communal activities and it's like the fun and enjoyment and including other people. Can you tell more stories of your life, preferably related to food, where it was like such fun, enjoyable, good memories? Mm, um, let me tell you about the biggest challenge uh, when I tried to cook by the book from Gordon Ramsay, as you mentioned in the intro, um, he had a uh, recipe of uh, Thai's soup. It's a really complicated dish, uh, not even because it's related with Asia, but because it has so many ingredients in it. And uh, for me, it looks like the expiration date of this dish is <laughs> pretty short because it combines um, clams, it combines uh, herbs and even coconut milk. That's why this combination of controversy of things uh, will make the soup live not uh, pretty short life. <laughs> and uh, I was really uh, worrying about uh, the time of living of this dish. And uh, I invited my friends on the eve of uh, the soup being ready. And uh, I thought that it will last not more than one hour after it, uh, after the soup uh, go to uh, undigestible way, so yeah, it was pretty fun because uh, it was so spicy and uh, that strange combination of milk, uh, spice, uh, spicy things, and uh, and clams. Uh, it memorized, and uh, we were really proud that we could consume this dish of mine. And uh, secondary, we were really proud because the expiration date of this soup uh, lasted not so long. <laughs>
Wow, I'm hearing now a pattern and I salute you on that. Do you have a pattern that in general, when you're trying something new or a project not similar to what you tried before, it's different? You worry in the beginning, but then after you succeed, you and the team and the people involved, and you personally feel so proud. Yeah, yeah. And better to share this moment with everybody. Uh, I remember I uh, took this soup uh, <laughs> at work and uh, uh, treat uh, our human resources department with this. <laughs> Uh, first of all, they were really suspicious. What? Soup? Mm, okay, good. Let's try it. Uh, we understand your experiments, but we couldn't expect that uh, you will bring soup at work. <laughs> uh, we had so much fun in it. And uh, speaking of the patterns, um, mm, you know, um, sometimes when you deal with uh, some abroad dishes, uh, which came from uh, to us to different, from different countries, uh, we need to think twice about whether we can accept this dish and to maybe adapt to our culture. Uh, for example, it's really hard to find some ingredients uh, in our market in Ukraine. Uh, that's why you actively thinking about how I can uh, how can uh, I can replace them with uh, maybe some local food and um, even some rare vegetables can be easily uh, replaced with our local food. But uh, I cannot come up with idea how can I uh, measure, you know, this uh, mm, the, the process of uh, replacing of this food. And maybe that's why uh, it's better not to give to automation, not to give to machines the process of cooking. Because still uh, the cooker decides which ingredient should take more attention, uh, which process should be uh, placed in its own way instead of making everything by strict rules like get the one spoon of salt get the one spoon of uh, veggie spices and something like that uh, we cannot outsource this process to anybody except human being <laughs> that's why i'm insisting that we cannot automate uh, making the food uh, let it be the culture let it be the uh, masterpiece of our hands I love this so much. I love it. And I'm going to ask two things because this is so wonderful. Okay, not two because I don't want to be like confusing. This is like so much good stuff. Okay. I perceive that to you, activities that are human activities where you share the fun or you share things together is really important and rewarding. So I'm asking you and I have a guess about the answer, but I will. What is the most fun or enjoyable part when it comes to cooking and culinary for you? Is it learning about like new dishes and discovering how to cook better and etc. as well as thinking how to adapt it to the culture or is it the process of cooking it until it's ready or is it the sharing with other people and enjoying together? Okay, thank you, Gladys. I will be really boring <laughs> in, in this answer. I think the process of consuming <laughs> is uh, the most interesting part, and especially when the, uh, the food is really good, <laughs> when you really become proud of uh, what you produced. Uh, that might be the, 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 the funniest and uh, the most memorable way uh, about the food. The process, uh, um, let's not now, one second. <laughs> this is perfect. Okay, no, because pride is a is an emotion that comes from oxytocin, which means mm -hmm. 
that pride comes whether you're alone or not. It comes either from you sharing with other people, so it involves others, or you thinking about what other people would have experienced if they were with you and thinking, wow, I am so proud. Or it can be, of course, just you comparing yourself to what you cooked before and you're like, oh my God, I am so much better. But to ask you then, do you prefer to share food with people? I don't mean like in a selfish way. Or is it as enjoyable to share it or just to eat it alone in your room? Which one of them is not? No, I know. No, there is. There are people who will be like, of course, like... The Grinch, for example, from from (laughs) that movie, he loves it in his room because he hates happiness and he hates Christmas (laughs) and everything. So to you, and do you have a story of like an event maybe before Corona where you had a lot of people that you invited or maybe you had a picnic in the park and you cooked a lot of the things and you were so proud to see other people's reaction and enjoyment and you enjoying together and Okay, this is one thing. Uh, the other, is it from Sumi too or from your family that it tended to be where neighbors share with each other, they visit a lot, and the whole thing was more of a community-based and maybe you missed that a little bit when you went to Kiev, so you recreated it within your friends and the people you know through food. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for these questions. Uh, I-, I will start with uh, the-, the last one and then please catch up and... Uh... <laughs> until uh, other questions for me too as well okay i'll start with this uh, custom uh, custom of sharing food that's why i'm admire cooking because i want to watch over the emotions uh, to see the people uh, becoming happy after especially after after they uh, taste my uh, <laughs> maybe masterpiece or my failure so um, this tradition um, i experienced it in canada uh, when i worked um, a couple of years ago uh, we had the hot pot Hotpot is a tradition when we had multicultural uh, society, um, many guys from different uh, corners of the world. And uh, one way we decided to take our native dishes uh, together and to share it with each other. Uh, so I remember everybody did their own best, even those people who couldn't cook at all, uh, who cook only, only cook only pasta or something simple like boiling, boiled eggs. Um, and after that, I decided to utilize this tradition uh, to um, other companies, teams, etc. And uh, unfortunately, it's pretty challenging to uh, make uh, people in Ukraine to bring their own food and uh, to experience uh, their enjoyment or critics from others to be nervous, uh, to be afraid of, of uh, that somebody won't like your food or somebody will criticize it. Uh, however, uh, in Canada, I understand, I realized that uh, the biggest satisfaction from cooking is sharing. And uh, I can assume that uh, it's the main idea of uh, other uh, other activities. When you can share with it with others, when you can uh, see their emotions and experience it with them, uh, that's the biggest uh, gratitude to you. Wonderful. Now <laughs> I have two questions. And please take notes or something, but I'll keep yeah, it yeah, simple. One. Are you an empath? Does, do you have a very developed emotional system where when you see people, you can sense their emotions, even from small, minute details or movements? And uh, there is a stereotype that Ukrainian people, when at least when they walk in the street, don't show much emotion. So how does that affect you? 
that's one thing. The second is, which is to help you know understand that whole brain drain uh, phenomenon. Why did you choose to live in Kiev and in Ukraine, although you lived and you could have lived in the US, Canada, the UK, you even went to India, uh, you could have been now near the Eiffel Tower in Paris, <laughs> in, enjoying some pigeon and some mushroom soup. But you chose to return to Kiev and Ukraine. Why? Maybe like Anna um, Chachina, where you can say I tried those. But we in the beginning in Ukraine think that we'll have a happier life abroad, but in reality, we don't know how much we have that we will miss when we are there. So first is about empath, whether you can sense other people's emotions at a tuned level, and how do you deal with the non-emotion of people walking around in uh, Ukraine as is stereotypical. I'm not saying it is or it is not. And the second is the reason why you choose to live and return and be in uh, Ukraine and Kiev. Yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, speaking of the first question about the emo- emotional aspect of uh, our local people in Ukraine, um, my, in my humble opinion, um, it might be the influence of uh, the USSR. Uh, when your real emotions uh, could not be revealed, uh, could not be uncovered uh, for other people. That's why if you look at the photographs before 1950 or even earlier, we see that uh, people from our local uh, area, they even didn't smile because it wasn't the custom. It wasn't the tradition to show your emotions. It was uh, it was taken for granted that everybody is serious, everybody is uh, focused on, on, um, on being appropriate member of society and something like that. And uh, from counterpart, uh, showing their emotions, uh, was the aspect of uh, nativeness of uh, your uh, close people to you. Uh, that's why I wouldn't say that uh, the Ukrainians uh, are uh, self-closed, or how to call it, uh, that they're not smiling, that uh, their face uh, in the resting state is really serious, especially on the streets. I wouldn't say that. Uh, maybe just a, a custom of uh, not sharing emotions to each other, which is still influences on us. But uh, what I see right now, when you go out the street and you still remember your uh, trips to Ukraine, that uh, if you go somewhere on the city center, uh, we see that young people are always smiling, they're think- singing, and uh, uh, they look really happy. They are also grumpy people uh, who stroll in the street. Uh, we see the younger generation who uh, uh, who doesn't shame to be uh, happy and to show it. Even now that uh, the Generation Z, it's fully emotional people. Uh, let's see on uh, latest uh, uh, social networks. Uh, they're just uh, uh, showing their emotions uh, and sharing with uh, with their mates. Uh, even even myself, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't consider that uh, my resting face is grumpy, <laughs> even on the street, because uh, usually uh, you listen to the music, uh, you are listening to podcasts, or thinking about something uh, happier, and uh, definitely your emotion will reveal it. Uh, we are not uh, kind of nation of poker face, trust me. <laughs> As Ukrainian, I can say that. Good. Uh, so that was an answer about holding emotions uh, on the streets and stuff like that. Uh, another uh, question from your uh, from you was about, uh, as far as my, uh, I remember, it was about why I live in Ukraine. Uh, well, uh, the quick answer is uh, I missed it. 
after all the business trips, uh, especially in Canada, uh, I really missed Ukraine. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know which aspects of uh, of society, of uh, my native town, or or people uh, negotiation with people. I don't know. It was just a really deep feeling of that I miss this country. That I, I decided to uh, close my contract uh, with uh, uh, with Canadian company and uh, move back to Ukraine. And uh, later I wanted to switch. Uh, I wanted to move to Kyiv because it provided so many opportunities, especially in job. Uh, that's why, for example, now I'm sitting in Sumo, I'm still in my house uh, during this curfew, and time to time I visit uh, I visit Sumo as as it's supposed to be, because we shouldn't be ashamed of our roots. We should present ourselves on our place. Wonderful. That's such a wonderful answer, and this can go on forever. We're already <laughs> at, uh, I won't say exactly the time, because it will continue a bit more. So, to ask you then, a final thing, just as a concluding thing, what thoughts or advice or anything you wish to share with the listeners? And if they want to communicate with you or uh, send you a message or anything, what links do you prefer that they contact you on? Oh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for this opportunity. Uh, let me start with a second um, question about uh, how to contact me. Feel free to send me a message in LinkedIn. And also, as, a, as you know, Aziz, if you don't mind, uh, we know that our target audience uh, or our audience are people from abroad. Guys, if you're willing to visit Ukraine, if you have an opportunity to do it, uh, Write me a message and uh, I can show you the city uh, of Kiev. Uh, feel free to contact me. I'll be really happy and uh, uh, honored uh, by your attention. And uh, I'll be really happy to have a mm, good stroll on the on Kiev streets. So, yeah, contact me on LinkedIn and I'll be happy to answer. And uh, speaking of some advice uh, to our audience, to our listeners, um, I assume that uh, the culture of podcasting in Ukraine is not uh, spread enough. Uh, it's just uh, starting to expand. And I would recommend, guys, it's a good source of uh, knowledge. It's a good source of uh, emotional things uh, in in the podcast. Uh, listen to uh, Abdulaziz podcast, Key uh, Future, and uh, don't hesitate to listen to other podcasts. You will definitely find so many interesting things there. And of course, you can unload your eyesight, especially after day work. So uh, you can load your hearing and uh, consume the information in another way. It's really cool. It's really cool. And uh, you will see that uh, you can save some time instead of focusing on reading, uh, you will uh, win some time just listening and doing another work simultaneously. Uh, also, my advice to people is uh, goes from my goals, as I mentioned. Try develop yourself from physical aspect, from emotional, from uh, mental, and uh, find your hobby and start being professional in it. This is Wonderful. Thank you so much. It was an honor, a pleasure, and such a great beginning to the year to have this chat with you. And I wish it could go on for like 50 hours, not just one episode, but I wish you a great day. Thank you very much indeed.